and thank you for listening to the history of World War II podcast. Episode 382, retired Naval officer Dale A. Jenkins comes on to discuss the battles at Coral Sea and Midway. A formal naval officer who served in the Pacific, Dale Jenkins was stationed in Japan and throughout the region. He's the former regional director of the Naval War College Foundation and has a book coming out on December 1st entitled Diplomats and Admirals, which covers the battles of the Coral Sea and Midway and the diplomatic buildup and mistakes made by both sides that led to the attack on Pearl Harbor. Mr. Jenkins, thank you very much for being with us. Well, it's a pleasure to be here also, and I'm glad you're interested in the book I've written. Absolutely. I'm very much looking forward to it. And the other reason I wanted you to come on the show was because when I stopped at with the Pacific Theater, I stopped right before the Battle of the Coral Sea and obviously Midway. So I'm very excited to have you on because as we're going to as we're going to see talking to you today, the outcome of the Battle of Midway does have an intense determination for the rest of the war in the Pacific. That's correct. Yes. I would like to give a little bit of background, even though it's been covered already, but just to give a brief background. Please. Um, The Japanese had expanded through the Western Pacific, and in particular the uh, war in in China. Uh, They'd already taken Taiwan, Korea, uh, part of Mongolia, and uh, were a power in that part of the world. Mm -hmm. They had moved into the northern part of Indochina, and in July of 1941, uh, invaded the southern part, somewhat at the invitation of the Vichy French, but nevertheless, landed troops in southern Indochina. This created a crisis. Uh, they, They were very close to Singapore. Roosevelt thought he could not tolerate uh, this further move, and uh, planned to have a limited uh, oil embargo on Japan. Mm. Uh, This fell under the control of Dean Acheson, who imposed a complete embargo on oil, and this created a crisis for Japan because they imported almost all of their oil and almost all of that from the United States. Um, Diplomatic relationships deteriorated, but by November, uh, the Japanese had come around to uh, agreeing to withdraw from southern Indochina Mm -hmm. in exchange for a resumption of oil. This was the the bare bones of an agreement. At that point, the Chinese vehemently objected to this, and they said that for you to make an agreement with the Japan is a refutation of the agreement with China, uh, and they refused to tolerate it. They mounted uh, strenuous lobbying efforts all over Washington. Mm-hmm. Our Secretary of State backed down, gave the Japanese a much more onerous uh, redrafted agreement. The Japanese thought that they had been humiliated at this, And the result was that instead of calling back the carrier fleet that was already in the northern Pacific, they uh, told that carrier fleet to move ahead and the 
Battle of uh, Pearl Harbor resulted. Um, it was cut short slightly uh, by the carrier commander uh, pulling out after one attack. And uh, as a result of that, it, our carriers were free to move around the Pacific, which they proceeded to do, carrier raids. Right. The Japanese carriers moved over into the Indian Ocean, raided British forces in the Indian Ocean, and then came back, and I think this is bringing us up to where you were, mm -hmm. uh, two carriers were uh, dispersed off the main carrier fleet. They moved into the Coral Sea, and the Coral Sea uh, battle was fought there in uh, May 3 to 8, mm -hmm. uh, 1942. The rest of the carriers which were three at the time, because one did not make the uh, voyage into the Indian Ocean. Uh, but that one was repaired and uh, ha having run aground. Right. And uh, the four carriers prepared for Midway. Um, Coral Sea was a seesaw battle mm -hmm. uh, back and forth. The, uh, the major encounter was on the 8th of May, uh, the carriers were about 100 miles apart. Uh, neither uh, carrier or any other ship sighted each other. Wow. The planes attacked each other almost simultaneously. Uh, and this went on for about two hours. Mm -hmm. In my book, there's a, a very vivid description of the actions that take place of the Japanese planes attacking the uh uh, Yorktown and the uh, Lexington. Right. Uh, our planes were attacking the Zuikaku and the Shokaku. Um, as a result of all of this, the uh, the uh, Lexington was sunk and the um, Yorktown was damaged. Mm -hmm. And Yorktown headed back to get ready for Midway. Uh, our planes had shot down uh, so many of the planes from Zuikaku that they had to go back to, J that carrier had to go back to Japan wow. and replenish its its air fleet, uh, which would take several months. Mm -hmm. uh, and the Shokaku was heavily damaged by three uh, dive bomber attacks by our planes. And that was going to be out of action for several months, uh, undergoing repairs. As a result of that, uh, the Japanese had only four carriers to launch against Midway. Right. So in effect, they really did lose at Coral Sea because Midway was a must-win battle for them. Whereas for us, uh, yes, we didn't want to lose it, but we had heavy uh, construction, naval construction coming on stream. And uh, uh, the Japanese... Uh, really went into the battle with a very weakened fleet. Right. If I could real quick, I don't think I appreciated until I read your article and some other things that you've written. Uh, and I'm certainly looking forward to your book. I think it's coming out in November. Is that, do I have that right? Actually, the 1st of December. We may first be able to move it back till the, to the end of November, gotcha. considering that uh, Thanksgiving is early this year. That makes sense. Okay, yeah. So the book is going to is going to be called Diplomats and Admirals. I'm looking forward to that. But I don't think I appreciated 
the the losses that the Japanese took of experienced pilots at the Coral Sea and how much and how quickly that would affect them, certainly in the Battle of Midway. I don't think people appreciate how long it truly takes to turn someone into an experienced, seasoned pilot. Yeah, well, it's true. And they they had excellent pilots in the beginning of the war. Their, mm -hmm. their pilots were as good as anybody's in the world. Right. But they had only a few of them, but relatively speaking, I mean, they had enough for their carrier forces, but uh, they didn't have replacements. And their their naval training, air training, seemed to, to be deficient. Right. They, they just didn't have a supply line of pilots coming on stream. And at one point in the Coral Sea battle, mm -hmm. uh, the commander, uh, an Admiral Takagi, who was not even a flyer. He was a, was a cruiser battleship admiral. Right. Uh, he ordered the Japanese carriers uh, to carry out a night attack against uh, our force. Wow. Uh, having failed earlier in the day because of poor scouting to find our force. And we also had problems in scouting. We didn't really find their force early in the day on the 7th. Right. Nevertheless, uh, uh, Admiral Fletcher made a brilliant decision by not ordering a, a night attack because uh, he, he was concerned that an attack could come against uh, our carriers at any time. Right. And he wanted uh, our people there, our planes there for mm -hmm. defense, and also our cruisers and destroyers there for air defense. Takagi made the other decision, and in the, the weather was bad. Mm -hmm. uh, there was overcast, uh, terrible flying conditions. He, he ordered this launch of their planes against our fleet. Right. Their planes couldn't find our carriers. We're flying around uh, our Lexington and, and Yorktown launched fighters, uh, they shot down several of the Japanese planes. The conditions, the flying conditions were so bad that the Japanese pilots were confused, and some of them actually tried to land on our carrier. <laughs> oh, well, I mean, goodness. it sounds like a joke, but that's right. what happened. But the, And one got shot down in the course of doing that. They flew back towards their own carriers. Mm -hmm. uh, the Rear Admiral Hara, the carrier commander, realized what a desperate situation it was. He turned on all the carrier searchlights to try to guide these guys back. Right. And in overcast possible rain at night, these uh, these planes tried to land, mm -hmm. even with the best pilots. Uh, something like 11 out of 17 went in the ocean. Wow. So out of, out of 27 planes that were launched on this night attack, they ended up recovering six planes, and they had a, the battle, the major battle, the next day on the 8th of May. Uh, they went into that battle with a depleted force. Takagi made several serious mistakes in the course of this battle, and that was one of them. Right. Would it be fair to compare his his mistake with Nagumo at Midway? I, I I don't think Nagumo was someone who knew 
carriers or planes very well either. Or is that right? Well, I mean, you was in charge there, of Pearl Harbor, there but never, there was never yeah. an encounter like that. Oh, good point. Uh, the okay. Midway plan was flawed. Right. Uh, and of course, the advantage that we had at Coral Sea and at even more importantly at Midway mm -hmm. knew what their plan was and we could counter and a defense against it. Okay. Uh, so, uh, so I think the Yamamoto plan was, the, the entire design was flawed right. for a whole bunch of reasons. Uh, but nevertheless, that's what they did. And their planes, their planes in Midway really never got a, got into the sky, except after three of them, of their carriers were destroyed. At the last minute, uh, wow. Yamaguchi, the second in command, mm -hmm. launched his planes, and which resulted in the Yorktown being sunk. But uh, uh, it was never really an out-and-out -out battle the way the 8th of May was at Coral Sea. Right. So, so it sounds like the Coral Sea, the Japanese were blunted from their objective, which might have been the first time that that happens. And so the Americans are able to hold their own. The Japanese lose a lot of pilots, as you say. But still, um, Yamamoto is ready to set a trap for the Americans. He wants it to be at uh, at, Mad at Midway. Uh, if you could set that up for us and maybe tell us a little bit, and you just mentioned this a second ago, about the Americans, to a degree, are reading the Japanese mail, and they're getting an idea of what's coming. Yeah, well, they had... They had a very complete knowledge of the, of the Japanese plan. Right. What Yamamoto wanted to do was to start an attack on Midway, mm -hmm. which would result in the American carriers uh, steaming up from Pearl Harbor, which would take them a couple of days to arrive. Right. Uh, and then they'd be met by the big Japanese fleet, which is not only carriers, but, but uh, battleships about seven battleships. Wow. And at that uh, time, uh, the uh, Japanese fleet carriers and battleships would destroy the American fleet. That was the plan. Right. And then they could have a lot more time, maybe months or a year or whatever, until those carriers are replaced to run around and, I guess, solidify their defensive positions um, to That's keep right. what they have earned. That's right. Wow. If they could have destroyed our carriers, it would have set back our war effort by probably two years. That's amazing. But fortunately, it did not work out that way. So could you could you begin to tell us the Battle of Midway, uh, how it starts out, and, um, and then what goes on from there? All right. Um, we had their plans uh, decoded. Mm -hmm. We knew they were coming. And on the 4th of June... Uh, the Japanese fleet, including the four carriers and uh, two battleships and other associated ships, uh, were coming in from the northwest. And uh, our uh, Admiral Leighton uh, Nimitz's intelligence officer mm -hmm. had their, their movements plotted. He had them plotted several days in advance. Wow. And they were right on schedule. <laughs> Um, and this was all on a plot mm -hmm. in, you know, on a chart at Pacific, Pacific Fleet headquarters. Uh, Nimitz wanted to send out scouts uh, using PBYs, the uh, two-engine amphibious planes. Mm -hmm. The idea there being that the Japanese could 
spot PBYs and not know that our carriers were in, were in position, whereas by knowing the Japanese plans, our carriers were in possession. They were northwest or north northeast, actually, of Midway. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they were ready to strike in a coordinated uh, attack with planes from Midway. So the PBYs took off at 0400 in the morning. Right. They discovered the Japanese fleet right on schedule about 0603 in the morning. Mm-hmm. And they reported two battleships, and two carriers. <clears throat> Significantly, they saw two carriers, not four carriers. Right. Um, so all this was radioed in to Nimitz's headquarters. Uh, Nimitz walked over to the chart table, looked on the point where the, the sailors were plotting the positions. He mm-hmm. turned around late and said, you were only five miles, five degrees, and five minutes off. It was a tremendous tribute yes. to Leighton's intelligence efforts. That's so incredible. meanwhile, yeah. the uh, when that report came in, three minutes after six o'clock in the morning, mm-hmm. the attack planes from Midway Island took off, uh, dive bombers and, and torpedo planes yes. uh, took off to attack the Japanese fleet. The carriers, our carriers, were supposed to be 200 miles directly north of Midway. Mm-hmm. And the plan was that there would be an interception point 140 miles northwest of Midway and 140 miles southwest of where the carriers were supposed to be. Mm-hmm. Planes would attack simultaneously in a concentration of force. Right. And uh, that would be a resounding defeat of the Japanese fleet. Mm-hmm. Bearing in mind that half of the Japanese planes were launched at 0430 in the morning to attack Midway, right. which was the signal, the, the plan for our carriers to be leaving Pearl Harbor. That all occurred and at zero. They, they, the, the, the planes would be over the Japanese mm-hmm. carrier by about 015, 0, 0, Wow. And the half of the Japanese planes were still down bombing Midway Island. The oh, problem was right. that our carriers were not in, in position. And the plan was that the concentration of force would only be fighting the reserve uh, air arm that was left on the carriers mm-hmm. while the others were attacking Midway, Midway Island. So right. uh, our carriers were not there. The Midway planes flew in on their own. About the the Japanese launched the mirror the the their uh, zeros right. and uh, it, you know it was only a few planes from Midway relatively speaking right. they were shot down but not before they created such confusion confusion in the Japanese command mm-hmm. the Japanese Admiral Nagumo decided that there should be a second attack on Midway Island. Uh, and so he ordered the remaining Japanese planes to change their munitions from anti-ship to anti-land uh, 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 right. target mm-hmm. munitions. In other words, point detonating bombs right. uh, instead of torpedoes. Uh, 
So all of this, Nagumo, here again, he was a cruiser battleship admiral. Right. He didn't, under didn't understand the complications that went on with uh, air operations. Mm -hmm. And it was one thing to take the torpedoes off these planes and try to replace them with, with bombs. Mm -hmm. But the fact is, you took the torpedoes down. They weighed a thousand pounds. Then you had to take the rack down because it was the same rack that held the torpedoes didn't hold the bombs. So the, the racks had oh to my. be taken down. Right. New racks for bombs had to be bolted back on. And then bombs had to be loaded. This oh was going to delay their attack by about two hours. And the torpedoes, instead of going down into the magazines again, mm -hmm. and scramble to get this done as fast as possible, right. were just, you know, stowed on, on racks on the bulkheads on the hangar decks. <laughs> so they were all there. Right. This podcast could not exist without the help of sponsors like Yahoo Finance. When it comes to your financial future, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, you've invested all that you can. Now, you need to take those investments to the next level by using what every financial great uses, Yahoo Finance. I've stressed this in my podcast about command and control, which is exactly what Yahoo Finance is. You can see all your investments and retirement accounts in one place. You can consolidate your views from multiple accounts into one hub and access the expert analysis you need to tend to your entire portfolio with confidence. Yahoo Finance has been around for more than 25 years, and they've worked things out. You've got the tools you need right at your fingertips. I open up my Yahoo Finance, and within seconds, I can see how my stocks and investments are doing. And basically, investing is all about growth. And in order to grow, you need to know what's going on. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. That's yahoofinance.com. Could I ask a, qu a, a quick question? Um, I remember it from your article that Nagumo got some flack from people for not sending more attacks out at Pearl Harbor. You know, he, he could have done more. Yes, he would have lost more planes, but the the oil storage tanks uh, at Pearl Harbor could have been ignited. He he could have done better. In your opinion, do you think he's almost replaying? Um, Pearl Harbor here at Midway by trying to send another wave of planes to attack their their uh, installations at Midway versus getting ready for some incoming fighters or bombers or torpedo planes. It seems to me like he's like he was almost overcompensating because of the mistake he made at mid at uh, Pearl Harbor. Does that make sense? It's possible. It's mm -hmm. possible. Well, there's one thing that occurred during these really kind of frantic attacks from the planes from Midway. Right. One of the planes, which was getting shot down, it was trailing smoke. I mean, it was not going to make it back right. to Midway. And that pilot decided, okay, if I'm going to die, I'm mm. going to take out the flag bridge of the Japanese command ship. Oh, my goodness. Just board in straight at the bridge of the Akagi, the Japanese flagship. Right. Nagumo thought he was going to be 
killed. And at the last couple of minutes, there must have been some sort of gust of wind or something. He missed the 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 carrier bridge by a couple of feet, mm-hmm. crashed into the ocean and died. Oh my and goodness. Nagumo went into a panic. And he, that was what convinced him uh, oh, as much as anything, in addition to the message he got back from the planes over over Midway that right. another attack was needed. And he yeah. said, yeah, another attack really is needed. And that's when he ordered the change in the ordinance. So so the American planes are being shot down as they approach the group, but they're still having an effect. They're still rattling the nerves of Nagumo and the other commanders. They're Absolutely. getting frustrated or flustered. Yeah. And, and one thing about this battle, those Midway Flyers have never been fully appreciated for right. the sacrifice they did. Mm-hmm. There was, out of the planes that flew, there were only a few that made it back. There's zero shot down almost all of them. Right. It was, it was their sacrifice that caused the confusion, that caused the change in, in ordinance on the Japanese planes that really set the stage for our ultimate victory at Midway. Right. And and you're right. Um, I think there's been enough time that's gone by where, you know, we can parcel out the various battles and things like that. But you're right. Someone should have noticed this by now. And whether it's an act of Congress or whatever, certainly give these gentlemen their due. Because like you said, one, they sacrificed themselves. And two, even though it wasn't probably intentional, they did set up the victory that comes at Midway. They did. They wow. did. That's amazing. So, so the Midway's launching their carriers and, uh, excuse me, their, 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 their bombers and their torpedo planes. The carriers are still getting their act together. So like you were saying, a lot of these planes are going in unprotected and they're paying the ultimate price for it. Yeah. So they were, so part of the calculation of our coordinated attack right. was that, um, number one, we'd be flying against only half of their air complement. Mm-hmm. And in, in addition to that, uh, if we were, if our planes from the carriers were only able to damage the Japanese carrier, the flight decks, right? these planes coming back from Midway might not have been able to land. It would only take, you know, some bomb holes in the carrier decks to prevent them from landing. Right. That was another calculation that Nimitz made. Mm. But anyway, moving forward, right. um, our, our carriers were out of position. So then the the uh, Nimitz, I mean, was waiting to hear what was happening. He heard nothing. He must have been frantic. Right. Uh, um, Spruance was detached uh, by Fletcher and said, proceed southwest and attack Japanese carriers or enemy carriers when definitely located. Mm-hmm. But he was 25 miles out of out of the maximum range of his planes. He oh, was wow. 200 miles away. Right. The maximum range of our planes was a 175. He had to close the range by 25 miles. 25 miles in a carrier at 25 knots takes an hour. Mm-hmm. So he had to take that hour to close the range and then uh, launch a his planes on a new course because by that time the Japanese carriers would have moved. So the the old course wasn't going to work. He had to have a new course. Right. About course two four zero. 
the original course was about 255. They had moved southeast by that time to 240. Gotcha. Um, so they launched their planes uh, soon after 0700. There were some delays in the launch of the planes. The, the dive bombers, the Enterprise dive bombers, got off fairly quickly. Mm-hmm. There were problems with the torpedo planes. Things were delayed. The, the dive bombers were orbiting over the Enterprise. Right. Uh, the Hornet launched its planes pretty much on the same course. Uh, the Commander Ring uh, wanted to form up all of his planes into a big attack formation mm-hmm. at that time. All right. Meanwhile, the Japanese scouts had finally found the American carriers. This was at 0728. Right. This report came back from the one little scouting plane making this report to Nagumo saying where our carriers were. So Nagumo, instead of staying on the southeast course, turned to the northeast uh, essentially 030 mm-hmm. or north and east. So he was on that course. That meant that our planes flying on 240 were not going to find them because oh. the only information they had right. was the original dead reckoning course. And one of the mistakes we could point out in our operation mm-hmm. was that we did not have any backup scouting. The PPYs that left at 0430 that was it. There was because they expected to find the Japanese fleet. Oh, they expected right. to have a coordinated attack. Uh, our command saw no reason to have backup scouting. The fact is, here we were. The concentration of force had failed, and we didn't know where the Japanese carriers were. And so, our guys are flying on two four zero. They have a dead reckoning plot. Mm-hmm. And by this time, not, time has gone by. It's now about 0920. Right. Uh, the Enterprise Air Group commander, McCluskey, uh, knows he's he's going to pass this dead reckoning course at a certain point. Mm-hmm. So he's waiting for that to happen. He crosses that point. It doesn't happen. Right. About the same time, Wing, uh, Commander Wing, does the same thing. He decides that uh, he's got to somehow, if if the Japanese were ahead of that dead reckoning course, they'd be Mm -hmm. between him and Midway. He feels as if he has to go to the southeast and protect Midway. He Uh goes to the southeast and never finds anything. Uh, His planes ditch in the water. He manages to make it back to, to the Hornet. Uh, McCluskey looks at the same situation. Mm-hmm. He says, look, the dead reckoning course was at just about the max speed of the of the Japanese fleet, you know, about 25 knots. Right. So there's no way they can be ahead of their ah, uh, dead reckoning plot. He's thinking. Uh, and if there's delays, they're probably behind that. Right. So he turns all of his dive bombers, there's 30... 132 dive bombers in two squadrons mm-hmm. behind him. He turns to the northwest and he flies on that course for something like 20 minutes, 25 minutes, which is essentially back up the track of the Japanese 
uh, carrier uh, course. Right. He finds nothing. And he says, okay, they're not here. They must have turned. Uh, they may have found out that where our carriers are by this time. Mm -hmm. So he says, I don't think they could be south of where we are. They're probably north. And so he turns to the northeast. And soon after he turns, he sees a Japanese destroyer heading to the northeast. And by this time, his planes are really low on fuel. Wow. You know, they had ordered over, orbited over the Enterprise yeah. for something like 25 minutes. Uh, finally, Spruance gave him this signal to, you know, proceed on mission assigned, mm -hmm. which is what launched them on their, on their 240 course, which was one of the great decisions that Spruance made. Right. Uh, so he follows the Japanese destroyer. And, you know, he's moving faster than the destroyer. So he, he's over the cloud cover, mm -hmm. uh, comes over the uh, the clouds and then looks down and he sees, here it is, about five minutes to 10 in the morning, the whole Japanese fleet, all four carriers are right down there underneath him. No sign that he's been, he's been even spotted by the, by the Japanese and he proceeds uh, to move around into the sun. Mm -hmm. He uh, gives the order between to one squadron under uh, Earl Gallagher, Gallagher to, to attack, which turns out to be the Kaga, right. the other to the uh, Dick Best attacking the Soryu. Mm -hmm. Dick Best had, had to drop down to a lower altitude because one of his planes was short on, on oxygen prevented the use of, of hand signals. There was a slight confusion there, but nevertheless, Bess saw that the uh, the Gallagher squadron was attacking Kaga. He moved over to attack the Akagi. He proceeded with that attack. Both uh, attacks were successful, and within five minutes, uh, both carriers were knocked out of action. And by coincidence, mm -hmm. the Yorktown which had been scouting early in the early on right. uh, had gotten back, launched its planes around zero eight thirty. They had found the the uh, the Soryu, one of the Japanese carriers, and proceeded to attack the Soryu. Uh, and within five minutes, three Japanese carriers were destroyed. Oh my god! Uh, I, let me let me ask you real quick. So up until this point in the battle. Is it your opinion that maybe this is luck? Because it sounds like the American pilots are actually trying to deduce. They're using logic. They're using their knowledge of carriers. Um, and so they're they're not just um, great warriors, but they're also intelligent men who have the ability to assess the situation off of yeah. reality and then adjust the plans from there. I think that's right. Yeah. Someone um, who can think and fight. Sorry, go ahead. Well, McCluskey... But McCluskey was getting to the to the end of his flying career. He was 42 years old. Uh, he had been had a lot of experience. He had been a fighter pilot. He had actually been a dive bomber pilot early in his career. Then he was a fighter pilot. Then he, because he was air group commander, and apparently Halsey had selected him for that job. Right. Uh, he was air group commander on Enterprise. So he moved back to dive bombers, and he was the... He was the commander of, of both squadrons, and he had a lot of experience. He knew what to do under 
adverse conditions. Right. And that sounds like all that experience paid off. Could I get you to, can I ask real quick, the third American carrier, that was, that was damaged. It was barely, I mean, it was like repaired just enough for it to participate in this battle. Do I have that right? Yorktown. Yorktown. Okay. Yeah. So I get another little miracle, I guess. Well, they, they did, uh, they took it into dry dock when it came back to, uh, Pearl Harbor from from Coral Sea. Mm-hmm. Uh, they just did a fantastic job of making sufficient repairs necessary to get the ship underway again. Wow. Uh, Nimitz said, you got to have this done in two days. Yeah. Maybe it was three days, whatever. Yeah. Uh, and, and they did that. And uh, the Enterprise and Hornet left uh, a day early. Yorktown followed a day after that. Mm. Yeah, I've seen pictures and video of Nimitz. I would not want that man mad at me. He could he has a scowl uh, that could be very intimidating. Um, <laughs> so it sounds like the Americans, for, for for all of the, I don't know if you want to call them mistakes or flaws. It sounds like the Americans, you know, figured thought their way through these problems and were able to deliver a decisive blow to the Japanese who were trying to set up their own trap for the Americans. That's right. That's right. Wow. Okay. It came through. Yeah. So please feel free to add on to the Battle of Midway if you want. But I also wanted to ask your opinion. Um, after Midway, how does this affect the rest of the war uh, in the Pacific theater for the Japanese? Because, you know, that many character uh, carriers gone in one day, that's a lot to try to recover from. Okay. Let me go back to one uh, important part of the Midway battle. Yes, sir. The, the Hornet flyers were on this course roughly 240. Mm-hmm. Uh, the torpedo squadron commander, his name was Waldron. Right. He figured something of what, like what McCluskey figured a few months, minutes later. Mm-hmm. He figured the Japanese would not are not going to be on this course where we're looking for them. They would have changed course by this time. Right. And I he figured out that he knew where the Japanese carriers were. Wow. So he broke off, despite uh, uh, the orders from, from Commander Ring. Mm-hmm. He broke off with his squadron of torpedo planes, and they flew to the northwest. And he was absolutely correct. They flew straight into the Japanese carriers. They had no fighter protection. Uh, these flyers... In that squadron, the youngest ones, the ensigns and so forth, uh, they they were flying in. You know, this was early in the war. Mm-hmm. Some of them were flying with the torpedo for the first time. They didn't have any experience. They hardly knew what to do. The zeros came in on them, and everyone was shot down. Everyone. Oh they had oh their dive bombers were old. They were going to be deplaced. They were called devastators. Despite that name, they were essentially helpless. Right. Uh, they flew at about one-third the speed of the Zeros. Uh, oh, zeros wow. would do loops and wingovers and so forth. Shot every one of them down, 15 mm-hmm. planes. One pilot survived, George Gay, who eventually wrote a book mm-hmm. uh, about his experiences in the Navy. Um, and a few minutes after that happened, almost a duplicate situation occurred with the uh, Enterprise mm-hmm. torpedo planes. One of the the Enterprise crew uh, crew members 
saw some smoke on the horizon. Of course, they're they're a fifteen hundred feet off the ocean, right? They're underneath the cloud layer. He saw smoke. Told his pilot. Told the the squadron commander. They they changed course to investigate the smoke, right. and that of course was the uh, Hornet torpedo planes getting shot down. So wow. then they proceeded uh, to do the same thing, boring in on the uh, the Japanese carriers, and most of them were shot down. The Zeros took a fearsome toll, and uh, I think a few, very few of those torpedo planes from uh, Enterprise ever made it back. Right. The one thing, when yeah, I was... That, that's an, an important part of the battle. Absolutely. Those people Absolutely. Uh, made a huge sacrifice, essentially accomplished nothing other than i don't know yeah divert the attention exactly. of the japanese in now yes, later in the war had had we had the japanese been successful had mccluskey and the the uh, yorktown particularly mccluskey mm-hmm. had he been unsuccessful uh, the japanese would have had three carriers to attack our three carriers quite possibly uh, our carriers might have been sunk Right. Um, that would have set back our, uh, from what I've read and what most experts think, would have set back our efforts by about two years because wow. uh, we would have had to wait for the Essex carriers to come on stream. And they weren't really coming until later in 1942. Right. That's, uh, yes. The Japanese win uh, had it. You know, that's I was talking about what would have happened to us. Mm-hmm. They might have, I don't know, made some further consolidations, but in the long run, I think they would have lost. Right. And of course, it allowed us, the Americans, to take the offensive and start moving. Uh, the, the Halsey forces started attacking islands up through uh, the uh, Marshalls, mm-hmm. the uh, Wake, which by that time was Japanese, all the way to Marcus Island, it set the stage for for uh, well, I mean that that had occurred before uh, Midway, but then it was after that that it set the stage for uh, Guadalcanal and the right. invasions that began. Yeah, it's like a one-two punch. You hit you hit their navy, you hit you land your forces, and you start going up. Uh, I, I'm glad you you described it that way because. When everybody thinks about World War II, they think about bravery, they think about courage, but these guys were intelligent, they were thinkers, they were trying to figure it out. And no no pilot is going in there going, I'm going to die, but it doesn't matter, I'm just going to sacrifice myself. You know, they were literally trying to do their job, they were just doing it under strenuous circumstances. And like you said, most of the, or is it most of the pilots that day you know, we're lost. We just lost a lot of men and a lot of planes that day. Uh, but it did have the positive effect of, uh, I guess, just making more tense the situation uh, that Nagumo had to deal with. Yeah. It's important to remember that we were in the war in December, December mm-hmm. the 8th, one day after Pearl Harbor. We were in the war. Right. But there was no service that could do anything to prosecute the war except the United States Navy. Mm-hmm. We had no way of landing any troops anywhere, either in the Atlantic or in the Pacific. Right. It was, it was entirely 
a U.S. Navy war mm -hmm. for, from December uh, of 41 all the way around to, uh, I suppose, August of 42 when the first landings began, Guadalcanal, and then Morocco in uh, northwest Africa mm -hmm. in what I believe was October. I stand, if, if that's not correct, I stand corrected right. on that. It's but it was entirely a U.S. Navy war through most of 1942. Yes, that's one of the aspects of that I admire about the Americans early in the war. Basically, they were doing the best they could with what they had. It wasn't very much, but it was going to take you know more time to bring more men online, more build more ships, more planes, train the pilots. And so, yeah, if if we had lost, uh, you're right. I think it would have set us back a couple of years. There would have been even more money spent, more Americans dead. Um, so it's a good thing it turned out this way. Um, I did want to ask you, as you cover that in your book, Diplomats and Admirals, you also mentioned some other things, some other observations that you noticed or that you think that should have more light thrust upon them. And one of them is the possible duplicity within the Roosevelt administration. You were talking about that earlier with the oil embargo. Um, I think some decisions were made maybe either without FDR's knowledge, it's certainly about the oil embargo, but it seems like there might have been some miscommunications before, which helps bring about the battle, the attack on Pearl Harbor. Well, that's true. Uh, first of all, the the major threat, which everybody agreed upon, mm -hmm. was with you know, in the European theater. Uh, right. Adolf Hitler, Nazi Germany, far more powerful, uh, had they been successful in taking Great Britain, either in 1940 or 41, uh, would have been a mortal threat to the United States. We would have been fighting uh, for control of the Atlantic Ocean. Uh, Japan was considered the lesser threat. Their industrial capacity was far mm -hmm. less than the U.S. or Germany's. And um, But the idea became clear that that the the oil situation had to be prosecuted. We couldn't allow the threat to Singapore to continue. The Euro, the uh, British were very forceful about our our support, mm -hmm. uh, and we wanted to support them. Right. Uh, this mismanagement came when Dean Acheson put a total embargo on. Roosevelt wanted to manage it to cut it off, to turn it on if they. You know, took some positive actions. He'd allow some oil to flow back. Right. Uh, just trying to delay, accommodate, and delay until the our forces were built up, so we could really fight Hitler in 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 Europe, mm -hmm. not get into a war in the Pacific. We did not want a, a two ocean war. Right. So uh, we got into November, and uh, the the advice that was coming from our ambassador to Japan, uh, Joseph Grew, who was really knowledgeable, it was largely ignored by Cordell Hull. Right. He had a, a, an assistant named Stanley Hornbeck, who thought that Grew was sort of old and honorable, but naive. Right. And Hornbeck had an assistant named Alger Hiss, and oh. Alger Hiss was advising Hornbeck. So Hiss was just a step away from 
uh, Cordell Hull, Secretary of State. Cordell Hull was step was the direct advisor to Roosevelt. Yeah, uh, it would have been advantageous for Russia to see a war between Japan and the United States mm -hmm. because Russia and then Japan had been fighting each other for uh, several decades. There was the big battle of Tsushima in 1905. The Russians had not forgotten about that. Right. They were looking for an opportunity to stab Japan in the back. And the speculation is how much influence did Alger Hiss have on the events that occurred Right. Uh, Good question. When when Gru's advice was not taken, and then ultimately when the uh, the adamant uh, statement came in from Chiang Kai Shek, saying you know we would consider it uh, a repudiation of our alliance, words to that effect, mm -hmm. if uh, there was an agreement between the United States and Japan. Uh, which was right there, the end of November. Right. The Japanese had agreed to withdraw from south southern part of Indochina. We would agree to resume oil shipments. And it was that that, that Chiang Kai-shek rebelled against. Mm -hmm. The war against Japan was not inevitable until the 26th of November when Cordell Hall substituted a different, more onerous uh draft agreement to the Japanese and the wow. Japanese saw that and they that's when they told their their carrier fleet to proceed against Pearl Harbor. See that's amazing to me and I'm really looking forward to reading that part in, part in your book because here's the United States we're not ready for war FDR is trying to be as tough as he can, but he knows we're not ready for war, so he's trying to keep us out of war, certainly with Japan. And then you've got people like Chiang Kai-shek, you've got the British, um, and maybe Alger Hiss, who might have been a spy working for the Soviets, who knows? And so you've got these partners of ours who were, in this sense, not dealing honorably with us because they had their own agendas, too. That's exactly right. And That's exactly right. And in my yeah. book, I cite, mm -hmm. I, I excerpt uh, state papers from the uh, diplomatic uh, papers of the you know you know, the U.S. Uh, State Department. Right. They're all in the book. They're indented and italicized and footnoted. Wow. All the 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 note from uh, Chiang Kai Shek, the the various notes that went back and forth between ourselves and the Japanese. Uh, it, it's all there. Right. Because I remember I was watching you on YouTube. You were you were saying that the the whole note, which was a lot firmer than the previous one, you know, for Tojo, that's like, OK, that's it. We tried peace. Peace didn't work. Let's gear up for war. And of course, since they're dealing with a uh, stronger nation, the United States, they I don't know if I should use the word sucker punch, but they definitely wanted to get in the first blow because that's what's best for them in dealing with the, a, a more industrial nation, a larger industrial nation. Yeah, that's what Yamamoto came in and said, mm. the only way to win this war right. is on the first day. Wow. And that was the Pearl Harbor plan. <sighs> uh, and it was foiled when, when uh, Nagumo pulled out after the first two waves. They were supposed to be there for two days, destroying everything and sinking any of the carriers that were around. Right. Uh, and there's a, 
I read in in one account, which I repeated in the in the book, uh, the reports are coming in from the from the carrier planes mm-hmm. back to Nagumo, reporting you know the ships that they had sunk in Pearl Harbor, and these are transmitted, uh, you know, the low frequency radios right. back to Yamamoto, who's on his uh, battleship in in the inland sea of Japan. Mm-hmm. The, you know the the Japanese sailors and the staff officers. You know there's sort of saying, looking at each other, saying, this is great, you know, big victory. And uh, Yamamoto sits there absolutely saying nothing because he knew that Nagumo was not the guy that should have been in command of that fleet. And he looks at his chief of staff. Right. And he just says, Admiral Nagumo is going to withdraw. And that's what exactly what happened. Oh, my goodness. So he knew this man. That's... One thing about my book that I should interject, Please. I tried to be as even-handed as possible between the Japanese and the Americans. Okay. I'm not cheering for the Americans. Right. I'm not disparaging the Japanese. I'm trying, I tried as much as I can to be even-handed and fair to both sides, appreciating good decisions, noticing bad decisions, uh, making some analysis of the personalities involved. Right. Uh, I hope I did that fairly. Yeah. I, 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 again, I'm looking forward to your book. I, I have the sense that you did because it has been enough time. It doesn't have to be personal at this point. And we should learn from others' mistakes because Lord knows there will be a future war and you want to be as efficient as you can and, and minimize your own casualties. And that's hopefully something that comes about after you study other previous battles. Yeah. 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 All right. So, uh, Mr. Jenkins, uh, please feel free to add anything you want, but I want to thank you very much for your time. I'm looking forward to your book, Diplomats and Admirals. It's coming out in early December. Uh, I, I've seen, I've read several of your articles. I've seen you on YouTube, and there's a lot of good information out there. And again, I'm just really looking forward to your book and your and your and in that putting out some new ideas that need to be very seriously considered when you're talking about Coral Sea and the Battle of Midway. All right, you'll get a copy. Oh, thank you very much. Uh, <laughs> that'd be great. Okay, um, is there anything else you would like to add? I don't think so. I think we've covered a lot for today. 